And this morning for a few minutes, I'd like to be talk, just talk a little bit about resolve. Resolve, where we get the word resolution. I have learned through years past that my resolutions are worthless. Can anybody relate? I mean, I used to make a list. I used to sing a song. I used to proclaim it, declare it, face Jerusalem, shake my fist at it. But after about three days, it seemed like I lost my list. Look at somebody say, he's lost more than his list. He's lost his list. Um, incredible story in the Bible uh, about Daniel. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were from Judah. And uh, their city was captured by the Babylonians. Most of the parents were murdered. Uh, all the wealth was taken. And the teenagers were put into uh, bondage. And they were trained to serve the king. And there was a certain diet. There was a certain appetite, a certain process. But in Daniel 1 and 8, it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not eat the king's meat and he would not drink the king's wine. And that word purpose in the Hebrew is where we get the word resolve. The word resolve simply means to have a made-up mind to do the right thing. Right. A made-up mind to do the right thing. And he had been, Daniel obviously was kosher, a Jew, God gave them their diet, and there were things that uh, God asked them not to eat uh, because it was harmful to them. And the wine represents the parties. Babylonians were, uh, the, hand, the night the handwriting on the wall, they were almost too drunk to stand up. And Daniel said, I'm not going to eat your meat. I'm not going to be involved in your partying, but I'm going to pursue the plan of God. And he challenged his keeper uh, with, a, with a contest, and he said, give me 10 days, let me uh, eat vegetables, and let me drink water, and let's see where we're at 10 days. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resolved in their heart to stay on the diet that God had given them. And at the end of 10 days, the scripture says that they were found 10 times better than the youth that ate the king's meat and drank the king's wine. So there are things to accomplish and things to receive when you do the right thing, when you do the God thing. Galatians 5 and 24, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, the book of Hosea, that we are the trees of God's planting and that we're trees created to produce fruit. And when you are a child of God walking under direction of the Holy Spirit, there are nine fruits that God wants you to be a producer of. These are not necessarily gifts you get, but these are gifts you give. Verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, goodness, temperance, Against there is no law. The word temperance there means 
a made-up mind. It means self-control. And for just a few minutes today, I'd like to talk about self-control. 1 Corinthians 9 and 25 says that when you are an athlete and you compete, you must first go through strict training. Um, one of my favorite shows on television is uh, the SEAL, SEAL team, I think it's called. And when you see what a SEAL or a Marine goes through just to prepare, just to train. Uh, most SEALs have been trained to hold their breath uh, eight minutes. Uh, I'm about 52 seconds and then I'm gasping and uh, reaching for the oxygen. But when you see the, the, the regiment they go through and you see, the, you see the, the training and the preparation they go, to, go through, all that just to serve their country and to be called a Marine or be called a SEAL, that time of testing is incredible. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1 and 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That sound mind is where we get the word resolve, a made-up mind. I have a made-up mind. I have a goal. I'm going to accomplish something in my life. I'm here on earth for a purpose. I'm here on earth for a reason. You might have to be a little older to determine what your purpose and what your reason is, but God has a purpose and a destiny and a reason for every single person in this room. And for those that are listening by podcast, God has a purpose for your life. Jeremiah said, it's a good purpose. It's a good plan. I am going to bless you. I'm going to reward you. And at the end, you're going to look back and say, God has been good all the time. God is good. Do I have a friend in the house that would say amen? I remember very, very um, early in life, um, I realized that I was somewhat athletic and uh, loved sports. Uh, I loved um, every sport. And uh, most of the sports were played on Friday night. And uh, we had YPE on Friday night. I don't know how many remember in the Church of God that it was called Youth Endeavors Night that really had nothing to do with youth. It just gave my dad another night to preach. And, uh, and so being raised in church, I was required. I loved church. I played the organ uh, for, the, for the church, praise and worship team. I love the church, but I really wanted to play football. And the coach actually went to my dad and told him that he would put me as a, as a tight end and I wouldn't get hurt, but I was quick and he would like me on the team. My dad told the coach that uh, church was more important than football, so I didn't play. I didn't really get bitter or mad or upset. I was disappointed, but I trusted my dad. And I purposed if he feels like I need to be in church more than I need to play football, that's fine. But track was during the day. So you didn't have track on Friday night. You had track during the day. You got in a bus. You went to a school. You went to a college. And there you ran track. And, and, I, and I, I love track. I love being a part of that. I love doing that. I remember uh, some of the goals that I had uh, running track. And one of the main goals that I had in running track was to break the five-mile mindset, five-minute mile set. There's a, there's a uh, track is involved of uh, four laps. 440 yards per per lap, and I remember when we would when we would run. Sometimes we would run five, eight, ten miles a day every single day. That's a lot of times around the track, and sometimes I would lose I would lose count, and I say, well, I'm going to run one more just in case I ran enough. Can anybody relate to that kind of tenacity, to that kind of stupidity? 
to that kind of pain, to that kind of... Is anybody there with me? It's like I ran and I ran and I, and, I, and I really didn't like running. That wasn't really... I wanted to catch the football and run. Hello to have a friend in the house. Or hit the ball, hit the, the ball out in the field and run around the bases. I didn't really want to run around a track over and over and over again. But there was a couple of things that motivated me to run track, and one of them was Mona Hendricks. <laughs> Mona Hendricks was the homecoming queen. She was the head cheerleader, and she would come to track meets, and they called me Henry, and she would get pretty close to the finish line, and she would say, go, Henry, go. I, and I'm here to tell you that motivated me to just go as fast as I could go. You know, the first lap you blow out, the second lap you kind of pace, the third lap you think you're going to die. But the fourth lap, something happens. You see Mona at the finish line, and although you don't have a chance to, you never, you don't have a chance to date her or go out with her, but just the fact that she's there motivated me to run and try harder and to win. And I won a lot of my track meets. I remember in the main, uh, the city championship, all the schools came together. There were 12 milers, and I made up my mind. I found out who was the, the and I competed with these guys before, and I found out who was the fastest runner. And I purposed, I resolved in my heart, I'm going to stay right behind him. I'm not going to lose him. I'm going to stay right there with him. And uh, so the gun went off. We headed around the track. And I stayed right behind him. I never, never got where I couldn't almost reach out and touch him. I, and he, later he told me the fact that I was back behind him helped him run better because he felt, he, felt, he felt motivated that I was challenging him. And I stayed right with him. And then on the very last leg of the, of the, the lap, I actually realized, Misha, I could probably beat him. And so I turned on that second win and I passed him. And then some little old scrawny kid, scrawnier than me, passed both of us and won. And I played second in that tournament. I received a scholarship for UCLA, but I didn't want to run four years of college, so I went to law school instead. But I, when, I go, when I look back at that, that window of my life, when I used to run track, I, I think about the tenacity and the made-up mind. I mean, it would be easy, well, I'm just going to run a mile today, but that didn't, that didn't help me, that didn't prepare me. But realizing if I ran 8 or 10 miles a day, when it came time to run the one mile, it wouldn't seem so long, and I could blow through it. And then I remember when Pastor Ron and I divorced, I weighed 115 pounds. I was coked out. My, my cheeks were haggard. I was skinny. And uh, I met a, I met a, I met a guy, and uh, he talked me into going to a gym. It was called Adam and Eve Health Club. It was there in Anaheim, California. It was a real famous gym. In the course of, of uh, working out there for two years, I actually got to meet Arnold, and I met Lou, and I, I met Bob Birdsong, and I met Rachel, Rachel McClage. They were all bodybuilders, and that was a very famous gym that people would go to. And I had a, I had a buddy, and we worked out every day but Sunday. And we worked legs and back one day, then we worked abs and, and calves, and so we had a regiment, and we stayed on it, and we stayed after it. And I remember the first time that I went to do a bench press, I could barely bench press the bar. Can anybody relate? The bar weighed 45 pounds. I took it off, and I thought it was going to strangle me. And I went to get it up, and, I, and I, I got it up like once, I think, or maybe twice. And then uh, the next week, I added 10 pounds on each side, and I was, I was doing the bar plus 20 pounds. And then the next week, I added 25 pounds on each end, and I was doing that. I was doing four sets of 10. And then after about a month of uh, working out every single day, 
Mike McMahon, who was Mr. Teenage America, he looked like Arnold. He was, he was ripped. He, was a, he wasn't a weightlifter. He was a bodybuilder, and there's a difference. Weightlifters go just for strength. Bodybuilders go just for tone. And uh, Mike came to me one day, and he said, Hey, preacher, they called me preacher because when we were all in the jacuzzi, I would preach at them. And uh, we were all naked. It was my first sermon, four naked men in the jacuzzi. There you have it. Um, he said, hey, preacher, I want you to be my workout partner. I said, Mike, you're crazy. You're kidding. Mike, you're doing all. He goes, no. He goes, he goes that, that's not the point. The point is that you are consistent and you're faithful, and I need someone consistent and faithful to work out with me. And lo and behold, after a month, six weeks of working out, I'm working out with Mr. Teenage America. He went on to win Mr. California. He actually competed in the Mr. University place in that I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord, and he and I and Wayne would go to our church every Sunday, and we out in the lobby of the church, we would do about 80 push-ups. We got all pumped up. We, we wore shirts that were like three sizes too small, and we walked in, and we sat in the front row, and we let the pastor know, if you need any help, if we have any demon-possessed people, we're here, we're, we're your usher, we're to help you out. And I look back at those days, and I thought, how silly and how stupid that was. But I was determined. I had a made up mind. And working out with Mike, I learned a lot of things. I learned some, someone said, well, I can't afford to go to a, a gym. I can't go, afford to go work out. And I learned that at home with the sit-ups, the crunches, the pull-ups, the push-ups, the sit-ups, you don't need any weight. You can, yeah. you can get into shape just by physically exercising with your very own body weight. I look back at that and uh, I realized that through the years, I've lost that physique and I've lost those muscles and, but I have managed to, to, to develop a tummy. And uh, at first, I was quite proud of it. And uh, I thought, well, look at there. I don't weigh 115 anymore. I'm about 192. The doctor called me fat, said he wanted me to lose 15 pounds. <laughs> and one day, one day, I just happened to glance in the mirror sideways. And I thought I saw a pregnant woman in my bathroom standing behind me. And I'm freaking out, wondering if it's a move of God or a or a manifestation of an angel or of some kind of pregnant angel, and I realized it was me, and it scared me. It, I already decided to wear my belt under my belly instead of on top like rednecks do, and, uh, and so I decided, you know what? I said, I have got to uh, get rid of this belly, and I made a prop proclamation. I made myself accountable. I told Pastor Ron, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to eat any more Hershey's almonds, Reese's cups, Honey buns, donuts, uh, what, cinnamon rolls was my weakness. And for, for 30 days, I cut, I cut all of that out. And in 30 days, I lost 15 pounds. I thought I was delivered of Hershey's and Reese's. And then for my Christmas stocking, Pastor Rhonda compromised and put Hershey's <laughs> with almonds and Reese's. And so I ate it that one night. And Misha, I actually got sick to my stomach because I hadn't eaten that for such a... And so I said, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shun, get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to do the Hershey's. I'm not going to do the Reese's. But I am hooked on a little banana bread that now I've found that you can buy. And that I think it's good for you. It has bananas in it. And I'm so <laughs> glad for that. But 2 Corinthians 10 and 4 says, Casting down vain imaginations and arresting every thought and coming into a process of process, of where your mind is in order, your mind is balanced, and your mind is thinking the right things. I remember John Lennon sang the song, 
mind games. And if you're not careful, your mind will play tricks on you. Your mind will take your place. You don't want to go. It'll have you thinking thoughts you don't need to think. Sometimes it can be the best disqualifier, and you can be so hard on yourself and so critical of yourself and so depressed of that criticism is that you have no motivation, you have no goals. But 1 Peter 4 and 7 says, be clear-minded and self-controlled. And the ninth fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I don't know if we put that there at the end for a reason. That Maybe that's, one, that's the one that brings the other eight into focus. But the Bible tells us that we can, with the help of God, we can be self-controlled. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober, be vigilant. That word sober means self-controlled. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may desire. So if you don't have the right mind, the right mindset, if the enemy can, he'll put thoughts in your mind, he'll, he'll, put, he'll put ideas in your mind, and if you're not careful, you'll focus on those negatives more than you focus on the positives. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying this morning? And we see this, this mind control over our impulses, our desires, our emotions, our behaviors, our actions, our thoughts, our words, all of those are controlled by the mind. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, you think, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you think, you're going to speak. And that's excellent if you're thinking good things, what things are true and lovely and virtuous. But if you're thinking the thoughts that the enemy is constantly throwing you, the Bible says, as fiery darts of the enemy, that's the way he works through mind control and mind intimidation. And he'll put a thought in your mind and he'll water it. And you don't even realize what you're growing in your brain, but you're growing something that is hurtful and harmful. And it's disqualifying you from receiving all that God has for you. And sometimes we find our mind is completely out of control. And when you look at drugs and you look at alcohol and you look at sex, you realize if you're not careful, it's easy to get caught up in that lifestyle of the world that you pursue what you're being advertised on TV or a magazine or a book and you're pursuing the things of the, of the world and the lust of the flesh and, the, and the, the, the lust of the eyes. And next thing you know, you got all these things that you're in bondage to and all these things that are controlling you instead of you controlling it. But self-control is a gift from the Holy Spirit to help you walk and to pursue your goals, your dreams, your desires, and your destiny. I remember, I forgot the, I forgot the name of the movie, but it was a great movie where, where Bill Murray uh, had a psychiatrist, and he would go to him, I guess, what quite... Yeah, what about Bob? I don't know if you remember that movie, but uh, it's a pretty funny movie. It's a, uh, I can relate to some of the things Bob went through. I think maybe I had some mental problems also, but not as bad as Bob. But Bob was taught by his psychiatrist to take baby steps. Start small. You've heard me say it. I got it from Mel Gibson. Aim small, miss small. When I saw my belly was out of control, I decided I was going to go on a diet. And that diet required self-control because every day for probably, what, two or three years, I had, a, I had a, a plethora of junk food that was bad for me, that wasn't good for me. And I, I should have known better, but at that particular time, I didn't care. 
but, but Joel, it got out of order. And no one likes their life to be out of order. Can anybody relate? Three things to do to develop self-control. Number one, it's important in your life that you have long-range goals. Long-range goals. I've learned that short-sighted thinking leads to immediate gratification. But then I think about that immediate gratification. I look at the attitude of the world that seems to promote that short-term that short gratification. I look at some of the songs that we sing. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I think about some of the slogans that we have on our T-shirts. Go for it. If it feels good, do it. Live it up. Party hardy. We live in this, this generation of whatever feels good, do it regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequence. And we, we look at that with drugs or alcohol or tobacco. And I was going to give you a plan. I think it's here a little later, my message on how to quit smoking. How many would like to quit smoking in 20 days? Anybody? One? Okay, just two of, it, two of us? Okay. How many of the rest of you say... I would like to quit smoking 20 days, but I, I absolutely know there's no way I can do it, so I didn't lift my hand. Where are you? Anybody here? Okay, so two of us, three of us, okay. I'm going to help you guys this morning how to quit smoking in 20 days, and I believe it's going to work. So we live in this, we live in this mindset of pleasure and materialism, but self-control governors these impulses and causes us to pursue meaningful relationships in life. I wrote some things down that I had some goals and I pursued, and one of those was to be debt-free. I believe this morning we are debt-free, and the way that we became debt-free is we stopped using credit cards. Not once, not twice, but three times in the month of December did I receive a check. I think the largest was $1,500. And it says, this is a check. This is legal tender. You can go and cash this check. What they don't tell you is they charge 27% interest, and you're paying for that $1,500 the rest of your life because they want just the minimum payment to keep rolling over and rolling over and rolling over. And the way that we got out of debt is we did not cash any of those checks. We threw them in the trash can. Now when we get them, we laugh. Chris, I don't know if you get them, but it's funny. It's just it's got your name on it, and it says, "Put this." And you got to think about it. Fifteen hundred dollars, I could buy a dirt bike. Like I really need a dirt bike. Hello, I'm sixty-six years old. I can't even ride a bicycle anymore, and I'm going to get on a dirt bike and go jump things and hurt myself. Hello, and I got to think of some of the other things that I could buy for fifteen hundred dollars. I could buy another gun. Like I need another gun. I have nine rifles and six pistols. Like, I really need another gun. Then I thought, well, I could, Donnie needs another gun. I thought, well, um, I could put it in the church. But I got to think, would God want me to borrow money to put in the church that I got to pay back? So I, I realized that probably wasn't a very good idea. So I decided to stay debt-free and not cash the check. If you want to lose weight, you avoid calories. If you want to be healthy, you avoid what I already mentioned. Honey buns, cinnamon rolls, uh, Hershey's with almonds. Uh, the eagles try to get us to take it to the limit one more time. Can anybody relate? Go for it one more time. 
break all rules, break all boundaries, just have a good time and party. But with these long-term goals, we learn how to manage our time. And, I, and I, I'm impressed with several in this house that have gone on. I think of, obviously, Courtney. I think of Pastor Todd. I think of Mish. I think of uh, those of you that are going on. And Donnie has taken several classes. And it's like every class Donnie takes, it promotes him into another money bracket. Right, Donnie, pretty much? It qualifies him to make more money. And, and Mish, you, I mean, I'm impressed by you guys. I remember when Pastor Ron and I divorced, she came here to Lee. And so I worked out a year, and then I came, to, I came here to Lee. I was probably 24 or 25, and I tried to go back to college. It was crazy. I mean, I couldn't study. I couldn't, the, the assignments were too hard. The lectures were boring. There's other things I wanted to do. I wanted to go lift weights. I didn't want to go to college. But those of you that purpose in your heart, how many here are, go, have, are going on right now in their education? They're furthering their, that, I, I'm impressed. With, I, I'm, I'm impressed with you. That, that's just something about that. But you do that because you have a made up mind. It's something I want to do. It's a goal. It might take me two years. It might take me four years. I think I am six hours away from my bachelor's. And I could go online and get my bachelor's and I get my master's and get my doctorate. And at the age of 70, I'm going to create a marriage counseling business as a licensed psych psychologist so I can make $180 an hour. Do I have a friend in the house that says that's a pretty good idea? Can you do that? Absolutely. But you've got to have a made-up mind. And what will not work is putting it off tomorrow. So I'm going to conclude this sermon right now, and I'm going to the computer, and I'm going to get online, and I'm going to get my, psych, my psychologist degree. And so I can charge some of you guys $180 an hour for things that I'm giving you now for free. <laughs> 20 days quit smoking. Pack of cigarettes a day, most, that's pretty normal. The first day you take one cigarette out, and you break it, throw it away. The second day, you take two cigarettes out, you break them, throw them away. The third day, you take three cigarettes out, you break them, throw them away. By the 11th or 12th day, you're looking at all these cigarettes you're wasting, but you're smoking less. How crazy is that? And day 20, you take 19 cigarettes out, you break them and throw them away, and you got one cigarette left, and you said, man, if I, if I can go this far, I can quit. How crazy is that? And you know what you just saved? A year? $1,825. Now let me pick on you latte, caramel, frappe, Starbucks fans. You could give me a pound of coffee for about six bucks, and I can drink a hundred cups of coffee. I learned this from Chris and Susan. You can go to Starbucks and get your frappe caramel with the fizz and the sprinkles and the and spend six dollars. Hello, and you do that every day. That's nineteen hundred and eighty dollars a year. You could be saving towards another car. Or anything, furniture, anything. That that's the, it's like it's like it's like money. You just just oh well. Good 
plans. I plan to get married. You spent 13 years in school learning how to fill out a job application and change every three weeks. But you'll make plans to marry someone for the rest of your life and you won't read one book. You won't go to one counseling session. And you just think that everything's going to work out okay. Right. Well, how'd that go for your mom and dad? <laughs> just a, just a, I want to have children. I want to I I be a good parent. I want to read books on how to be a good parent. I want to be a good husband. I want to learn the most important words in my life are, yes, dear. <laughs> and I do that well. And I don't mind doing it. And I believe that I'm a good husband, a good father. I want to be a good Christian. I want to come to the house of God when the doors are open. I want to, I want to learn something. I want to worship. Like, like today, the, the praise and worship, the, the team was awesome. It's just, we are so blessed. I don't think that we realize how blessed we are, but we're so blessed. I think sometimes we just take it for granted, right. and that's why we're 11 minutes late. But every, every Sunday, it's like we get a chance to go into the presence of God and stand before him and clothe him with our words of praise and our, and our declarations of worship, and we get to do that anytime we want. Really, if you've got stereo and you plug in a worship tape, you can do that anytime you want. But a lot of people say, well, it's not that significant. It's not important. Listen, every minute spent in, with God gives you an hour of glory that you enjoy during the day. Every minute spent with God. Number two, your goals need to be specific. Amen. Prayers like, oh, God, save the world are redundant. Your prayers need to be Specific. We went to a great deal of trouble yesterday. Pastor Todd made two journeys to the homeless uh, shelter, and several of you brought things, and we got them where they needed to go. I got a text yesterday from the um, homeless homeless shelter pastor, and there was a there was a decision for the Lord yesterday. A homeless guy came back to the Lord. You know what? Everything we did last week, Amen. all the groceries. All the blankets, all the socks, all, all that, all that was worth it for one soul to come back Amen. to God. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. <laughs> Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3 says, write down the vision. Make it plain. Be specific in what you want to see God do in your life and wait for it. It may tarry, but it shall come. Write the vision down. What do, do, do you know how to walk in, the, in, in a vision? Do you know how to receive a vision? Are, are you opening up your spiritual eyes? Are you opening up your physical eyes? Are you walking in the spirit? We can hear God say, this is the way, walk you in it. This is what I'd like for you to do, I'd like for you to become. I love to hunt. Uh, I have, I have, with the exception of a bear and a mountain lion, uh, I've harvested about everything there is to harvest in Tennessee. And I think of the, I think of the list, and I think of the time spent, and I have a, I have a statement that I make, and a, the statement I make is, if you do the time, you do the crime. If you're in the woods two or three hours a day, you're probably going to kill a deer. But if you go just 15 minutes, you're probably not going to see anything. But if you'll get there, I, I get there before the sun comes up, I, I'll stay till about 10 o'clock, and then... I'll get there, and I'll, and I'll sit there till the sun goes down. I wake up, and I go to bed with the sun. And the hours that I'm in that stand, 
Uh, I'd like to say that I spend all those hours praying just for you, but I don't know most of your names, so that's probably not true. <laughs> Prayers like, oh, God, save the world are effective. Oh, God, save the church. You, God, you know who's going to be there Sunday. Bless them. I leave it all up to God and let him do that. But if you like something enough to put the time into it, then you're going to enjoy the blessings that you get from that. And that's why we write down the plan. Secondly, thirdly, secondly, it's important to be self-motivated. I'm almost done here. I've tried to surround, I've tried to surround myself with encouragers. I want people in my life that see the good, see the worth, see the destiny, and I, I like those people in my life to encourage me, and I have those encouragers. Pastor Billy is an encourager. Marcus Lamb is an encourager. Lemuel Miller is an encourager. I've, I've surrounded myself with people that will call, that will, Al will call every Sunday morning, pray for me before I preach. I try to surround myself with people that encourage me, but when it comes right down to it, I got to be self-motivated enough to pursue what God wants me to have. And so you have got to make up your mind that you're going to motivate yourself and prepare yourself and push yourself, like the eagle said, to take it to the limit, to go as far as you can go and see what God... See, I, I also say this. If you make the effort, God will bless the effort. He's for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? But I think sometimes the greatest dreams, the greatest possibilities, the greatest opportunities, I think we miss because we don't take advantage of the door that God opens for us. Watch for doors. Watch for opportunities. Watch for things to come our way. And, th and lastly, actually I have two lastlies. The second lastly is this. Learn how to develop willpower. There's a difference between want power and willpower. I want is powerful. You say, I want something that's powerful. But you have to have the willpower to go after your want power. And then I conclude with this. This is my only conclusion. Powerful story about a kid that had a dream. He had two dreams. Saw his, what represented his mom and dad and his brothers bowing down to him. Saw that twice. The brothers hated him. He was the baby of the family. Dad was older, more of a grandpa figure. Dad spoiled him. Dad shouldn't have, but he did. And it turned the brothers against Joseph. And they sold Joseph into slavery. And Joseph finds himself in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the chief assassin of Pharaoh. He was the one that dealt with the king's enemies. He was, he was licensed to kill. And Potiphar's wife was after Joseph. She chased him. She pursued him. She wanted to sleep with him. And one day she cornered him. And she reached out and tried to get him to have sex with her. And the Bible says that Joseph ran. There are things in life sometimes you just need to run from. Amen. 
And my last is this. Count the cost. Positive and negative. Interview people that's counted the cost. Interview Mish. Interview Misty. Interview these are Courtney. Those that are going on and getting their education. Or they're going on and starting their own business. Or they're going on and pursuing the things that God has. Get around people like that. Pick their brain. Find a healthy marriage. Ask, ask the husband how it come his marriage is so successful. Find somebody successful. Well, how do you do that? Well, go out in the car, go out in the parking lot. See what kind of car they're driving. If they're driving a BMW or an Audi or Mercedes, they, they are probably pretty smart. And I'd like to ask them how they got their, their, their job, how they became what they, how did they do that? How did you do that? Count the cost. What's it going to cost me to be what God wants me to be? As every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I will tell you, to serve God is going to cost you everything. Everything. God, we give our houses, our lands, change our dreams and our plans. We're placing our whole life in your hands. We sing that song, but do we really mean it? Have we, have we heard from you lately? Has there been impressions or nudges? or have you, Are you trying to take us places and we're not listening? Let 2021 be the year that our ears are open to what you have to say and our eyes are watchful to what you want us to have. Let us not operate in greed or envy or jealousy, but let us operate in the motivation that you have put in us, that fire burning in our soul that fire to achieve great things, that fire to accomplish great things, that fire to be able to finance ministry, finance missionaries, send people around the world to preach the gospel. Let us be blessed financially if for no other reason that we can send somebody into a third world country and bring revival. One soul is worth it. All that I have, all that I invest, if one soul comes to the Lord because of my efforts, it's worth every dime. Let this be, week be a week of opportunity. Let us have our eyes open to see the opportunities. Let us sow the seed. Let us water. Let us expect there to be a crop. Let us prophesy over our mailboxes. Prophesy over our jobs. Raises, increases, blessings. You can trust us with a little, and you can trust us with a lot. Let 2021 be a year of prosperity and blessing to this house and every tithe, payer, and giver in Jesus' name. And y'all said, Amen. I love you. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you've chosen.